A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Telegraph, the Telegraph. Podcasts Here's a question. Do you remember the last email you sent from your phone? Try to recall it. How carefully did you craft those words? How much time did you spend on it? Did you obsess over every bit of phrasing or dash it off in a moment? Now imagine that email on the front page of every newspaper in America, chewed over by every political pundit and late-night host. Every word, every comma, every caps lock and misspelling, scrutinised for intent. Imagine it becoming the very heart of an international scandal. Imagine people saying your email should mean the end of a president. When you were typing out the words to that email, did you ever think it would become this huge thing that is now being grilled over by prosecutors and congressmen and everybody. You know, when you ask me that, it almost makes me feel nauseous. For one man, this wasn't theoretical. It happened. And his name is Rob Goldstone. Even today, it's incomprehensible to me that I could have put myself and found myself at the centre of, I suppose, what is one of the biggest political scandal, certainly in American political history and in history. And the fact that people have written, and I'm yet to prove otherwise, that I wrote what's been called the most famous email in history is so shocking to me. And I don't know how to say it any other way other than I didn't even pay attention to it. The most famous email in history. The most explosive piece of evidence in the Russian scandal still being debated three years later. All written by a Brit on his iPhone in just three minutes. I'm Ben Riley smith the Daily Telegraph's US editor. This is Crossfire, episode three, The Tower. Unlike some of the stories on this podcast so far, this one is about just a single man and a single episode. Robert Goldstone's story is one of confidence, charisma, and let's face it, blaggery. It will take us from Fleet Street to Vegas to the heart of a presidential campaign. It says, I think, something fascinating about Donald Trump's inner circle, which remains as relevant for the 2020 campaign as it was in 2016. It's an insight into the chaos 
and the characters who thrive within it. You'll be hearing a lot from Goldstone. As you listen, it's worth considering a few things. Do you believe his story? And if so, what does it say about the President of the United States and his closest advisers? Let's start at Trump Tower. A first surprise for many visitors to Trump Tower, its legendary lobby is open to the public. If you had to name one place that embodied Donald Trump, the property tycoon, the self-promoter, the controversialist, it would be this. An even bigger attraction, the elevator, also gilded. 58 floors of glittering skyscraper in the center of Manhattan. This tower was where Mr. Trump lived, worked, and socialized. Opened in 1983, Trump saw the building as one of his crowning development achievements, as he recounted at length in his book, The Art of the Deal. His friends bought apartments there. His TV show, The Apprentice, was filmed there. The Miss Universe pageant was run from there. This was Trump World's epicenter. It was also where his campaign HQ was set up for 2016. That summer, it hosted a meeting that would be plunged into infamy. For those who might not remember the ins and outs of the Trump meeting, it's worth a refresher. I spoke to Amelia Thompson-DeVoe, who covered the Mueller report for the political website 538, about why it caused such a stir. The background is that in June 2016, Donald Trump Jr., who's the president's son, Paul Manafort, who at the time was his campaign chairman, and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, had this meeting at Trump Tower with a Russian lawyer and other people with ties to Russia. And this meeting was reported by the New York Times more than a year after it happened. But at the sort of the goal of the meeting was getting information to the Trump campaign about Hillary Clinton that could be used to damage her in some way. And this was sort of incredibly controversial because it seemed on the one hand like this meeting could be the proof that there was some kind of collusion or coordination between Russia and the Trump campaign with the goal of undermining Hillary Clinton. But the details were always pretty murky. And the people who were at the meeting basically said, yes, this is the kind of the lead up to the meeting was this sort of promise of information. And then it was just a big flop for everyone who was there. And so there was this big question of, was there something more behind this meeting? Was this actually evidence of some kind of coordination? What information was exchanged there? Or was it this meeting with a lot of hype and setup that ultimately came to nothing? And what seems to me so fascinating about it is, unlike a lot of other bits in this Mueller probe, it is such a direct connection to the heart of the Trump campaign. Trump's son, Trump's campaign manager, Trump's son-in-law, in a room meeting with people who they thought were Russians with dirt on Clinton. Right. And I mean, I think I think to understand also why this was so important is that the Trump campaign was always very small and it was unorthodox, I guess, a bit in that sense. So the people who were in that room were all incredibly intimately connected with the campaign. And so for all of them to even have gone to this meeting with the Russians itself, you know, as the Mueller investigation was unfolding and this reporting came out, seemed quite significant. So... Where does Rob Goldstone come in? 
he set the meeting up. When I first approached Goldstone for an interview, he said yes, almost immediately. Which was pretty rare for this podcast. He agreed to meet in downtown New York in April 2019. I booked a room, expecting to talk for around 45 minutes, but we ended up chatting for 90. Goldstone's background is unusual for the Trump world. He's a rotund gay man from Northern England with a quick wit and a grounding in journalism. He is also very talkative. I had a pretty standard upbringing. I grew up in Manchester. During our conversation, he didn't dodge my questions, but gave long, detailed answers, his words tumbling out at speed. And from the earliest that I could remember, I wanted to be a journalist. And at the age of 16, before I'd actually left school, I managed to get a job as a trainee sports reporter on a local newspaper and ended up freelancing on Fleet Street in the 80s. Uh, Got a job for independent radio news uh, through LBC, working there. And that then took me to Australia. I went to work for... Goldstone has a knack for celebrity stories. He loves telling anecdotes from those days. Like the time he went round Australia in a bus with Michael Jackson. This one, about when Muhammad Ali visited Birmingham, seems to sum him up. Working for a local radio station called BRMB, Goldstone kept pressing Ali for an interview. His reaction wasn't like, go away, which is what I would have done. Eventually he goes, do you have a car? I said, yeah, he goes, let's get in it. And I drove Muhammad Ali in a beaten up news car, which I think was a very, very old Ford Fiesta or something, with BRMB all over it. And I drove to the station, I told them nothing. I arrived with Muhammad Ali and said, is Tony Butler, who was a very famous sports editor at the time, on air? Yes. I said, I have a guest for him. And I brought Muhammad Ali into his show. And he did about a 40 minute, maybe a 45 minute phone in interview. It was unbelievable. What it really taught me was is that as a journalist, you had to have the cojones, as they would say in uh, in Latin America. If you want to make something happen, you have to make it happen. If you want to make something happen, you have to make it happen. From journalism, Goldstone went to PR, a familiar path. After many twists and turns, that path led him to the door of Emin Agrilarov. Emin, as Goldstone calls him, is a pop star from Azerbaijan. I don't want to wake up. His music is distinctive. The things that you told me. But it does help to be the son of Aras Agalarov. He's a businessman, a billionaire, and was once named 51st richest person in Russia by Forbes magazine. And in 2012, the Miss Universe pageant would bring Emin, Aras, Rob Goldstone and Donald Trump into the same room. I'll explain. One day, Emin had a demand. He wanted Goldstone to find him the most beautiful woman in the world to appear in one of his music videos. Wondering what on earth to do, Goldstone had an idea. He knew a Venezuelan model who just happened to be a judge in that year's Miss Universe. Emin and Goldstone sort out the competition's organisers. During that meeting, the conversation quickly moved from talking about the music video to discussing a totally different idea. Emin, who Goldstone described in our chat as flirtatious, handsome, 
demanding and puppy doggish, said they should host the next Miss Universe in Russia. The pageant's representatives mentioned they'd already been looking at a venue in Moscow, one called Crocus City Hall. It just so turned out, Arras owned it. Finally, deciding it could work, the organisers said yes. That meant flying to Vegas and negotiating directly with the man who ran Miss Universe, one Donald Trump. We went to Vegas and I arrived before anybody. In fact, I was sitting in the hotel lobby waiting for my client and his family to arrive. And I noticed Donald Trump had arrived and he was at the other end of the lobby. I waited because Donald Trump didn't know me at that stage. And I saw Emin and his dad arrive and this bellowing voice said, look who it is, the richest family in Russia have come to visit me. And I saw Emin smile, he then must have translated it to his dad, who looked quite embarrassed because Arazai Galarov's not Emin. He's quite a reserved man and I smiled inwardly because I knew how horrified he would be at this. After the greetings, Trump invited himself to dinner with his potential business partners. There, things got more relaxed. So at one point, Donald Trump turns to Emin and he goes, Emin, I'll reduce the fee for the Miss Universe contest by a million dollars if you tell me if you've slept with any of the contestants. And everyone laughed because he bellows these things out. It was quite loud. And they all wait for Emin's response. And Emin takes his time and he goes, Mr. Trump, I will pay an extra $5 million for the contest if you tell us right now if you've ever slept with any of the contestants. And there's, oh, everybody laughs. And Trump hits back and he goes, should we just forget the bet? And it was one of those, I say in my book, it was like a bonding made in frat boy heaven. I just thought, I get it. Trump probably likes the fact that so here's somebody who he respects as a business guy, but who he can have that kind of like frat boy fun with. But it stuck in my mind and it was funny. And did you ever get the responses, the answers to those I did, questions? I didn't, no. I wish I had now, because my book probably would have done a lot better. The pair had bonded. It's the Miss Universe pageant. Donald Trump would take his Miss Universe pageant to Moscow in 2013. He would also, in a true stamp of friendship, give a star turn in one of Emin's music videos. Rob Goldstone was now in Trump world. He not only knew Trump himself, but had a direct line to those around him, not least his son, Donald Jr. Over the coming years, he would act as a middleman, making connections between the Trumps and the Agalarovs whenever required. So on June 3rd, 2016, there was nothing unusual when Emin called with another request. Except this time, for the first time ever, it was about politics. He called me about 10 o'clock that morning and told me that a well-connected attorney had met with his father that day and Emin asked me if I could get a meeting with the Trumps. And I remember it was the Trumps. It wasn't anybody specifically. And obviously it was an odd request. So I was like, what does that mean? Like who, what is it about? Who's the attorney? And he just said, well connected. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he goes, well connected. So I flippantly said, well connected to what? The power grid? And there was this silence. And I was like, okay, let's move on to the next question. I said, well, what is it about? And he said, it's about some he either said illicit or illegal funding to the Democrats. 
and their candidate. I thought, interesting. And I said to him, well, can you tell me any more? And the reason I asked him about telling me any more was I didn't really understand what that meant. And I didn't get the sense as to whether he didn't know or didn't want to share that he knew any more about it. What I was concerned was I'm the one doing the ask. So if anything is asked of me, well, I have no idea what all that means. And his answer was very simply, he said, all you have to do is get the meeting. So Goldstone was faced with a choice. Say no or do what his client wanted. He was torn. After years of dealing with Emin on various fronts, and, and I think people can relate to this with clients or with bosses, there becomes a point where you either say, yes, thank you. You say no and maybe look for another job. Or you do what I did, which is I, I thought I'd given him enough of a warning saying nothing good can come from this. And then you try and make something happen. He picked up his iPhone, decided to send a message to Don Jr. and started typing. This email, the one we talked about at the start, was just 137 words long. I asked Goldstone to read it out. Good morning. Emin just called and asked me to contact you with something very interesting. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, Aras, this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. This is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump, helped along by Aras and Emin. What do you think is the best way to handle this, and would you be able to speak to Emin about it directly? I can also send this info to your father via Rona, but it's ultra-sensitive, so wanted to send to you first. Best, Rob Goldstone. That went quickly, so let's unpack it, because it is dynamite. First, Goldstone's saying that Emin's father met with the Crown Prosecutor of Russia. The title sounds fancy and suggests someone in the Russian government. Next, he says the person has information that would incriminate Hillary. That's to say something that would hurt Trump's presidential rival, Hillary Clinton. And third, he says this is all part of the Russian government's support for Mr Trump. In other words, the Kremlin is weighing in on Trump's side. All of this only becomes even more bombshell when Donald Trump Jr. writes back. If it's what you say, I love it, he replies. Donald Trump Jr. was game. For Goldstone, this is not a gotcha moment. Why? Because he deliberately exaggerated what he knew. He explains. Having been a publicist for many years, what I do know is you usually get one chance to pitch something or to make a request. If somebody says no or worse, if it's ignored, then what do you do? So I thought, OK, I'll send this to Don Jr. I bashed out an email and I thought, I need to hype this. Because who is it? Basically, what I'm saying is, my client just called. There's some attorney. I don't know who it is. He won't tell me. And there's something, but it's illegal. It's funding. It's Democrats. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Please take a meeting. Well, nobody would take that meeting. The attorney, who he knew nothing about, became a Crown prosecutor. Wrongly, it turned out. There's no such title in Russia. Dirt on the Democrats became dirt on Hillary, Goldstone says, because he assumed that's who they were talking about. He also says the other bits of the email, like how the Russian government was helping Trump and how the information was very high level, were just glitter designed to catch the eye. 
It was a bit of pure puffery in order to get his attention. Either way, it worked. The meeting was on. I've come to the corner of Fifth Avenue and 57th Street in New York, and standing before me is the Trump Tower. Its entrance is huge, maybe 20 metres tall, 10 metres across, with Trump Tower in vast lettering across the top. There are gold revolving doors and a huge American flag hanging from the ceiling. But there are also signs of how this place has become a security risk. Concrete barriers line the perimeter, stamped with the letters NYPD, and there are two policemen in full uniform with protective hats on and one hand on a rifle. It was here in June 2016 that Rob Goldstone and a handful of Russians came to walk through those revolving doors and meet the most senior officials in the Trump campaign. Goldstone got to Trump Tower early. Waiting in a nearby Starbucks, he watched the clock nervously while the others ran late. There were five in total. Natalia Veselnitskaya, the attorney Emin had mentioned, a Russian lobbyist named Rinat Akmenchin, then a business friend of Emin's father, a translator, and Goldstone himself. Waiting in the grand room above them were three of the Trump campaign's top figures. Don Jr., the candidate's son, Paul Manafort, the campaign chairman, and Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law. Their time was precious. The election was in full swing. Veselnitskaya, the attorney, was asked to speak first. It did not go well. And she started in this very monotonous, uh, droning voice, talking about how wrong it was and how illegal it was that people like, and I remember the names, Bill Browder and the Ziff brothers had donated to the Democrats. And I think she said something like not paid taxes or owed money or something. And the reason I remember it was because half listening, I looked over at Don Jr. and thought, didn't your father used to donate to the Democrats? This is hilarious. But I thought she was getting somewhere. So she started going on about how awful this was. And Jared Kushner was fidgeting because he was sitting next to me. And she went on and on for what seemed like an eternity. In, real in reality, it must have been five or six minutes. And Jared Kushner suddenly stopped her and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Could you possibly refocus? At first, the attorney repeated her comments about questionable Democrat donations. But then she switched and talked about something entirely different. The Magnitsky Act. This law was a major bugbear of Vladimir Putin. It had put hard-hitting sanctions on Russians in 2012. In retaliation, Putin had banned Americans adopting Russian children. At which point she said, but what I really want to talk about is adoption. I thought, OK. And I remember thinking, adoption. We're now in a meeting about adoption. And what did this mean? And she started talking about the Magnitsky Act and the sanctions that had been put in place and how America... Well, I'd never heard of Magnitsky or an act. So I didn't really pay a lot of attention to that. So I couldn't tell you what she said in total. But she talked about how, you know, kids were suffering because of the adoptions and the ban on adoption. And I just kept hearing adoption thinking, why are we in a meeting about adoption? On When Don Jr. said, he stood up and he said, you know, 
my father's a private citizen and whilst what you're saying might be very valid, I would suggest you address it to the Obama administration because they're in power. Thank you very much. And at which point I didn't let him stop. I said, thank you. He's very busy. We must leave. And I herded them literally like cattle out of there to get them out. So that was it. To Goldstone, a damp squib. The Russians pushed info on Democrat donors and lobbied to overturn the Magnitsky Act, but neither excited the Trump team. Can we really trust his narrative? Robert Mueller dedicated 12 pages and 6,000 words of his report to the meeting, raking over every aspect of it. The evidence he found actually backed up the story. Jared Kushner, it turned out, had texted Manafort during the meeting, calling it a waste of time. He'd also sent emails to two assistants, urging them to call him with an excuse to leave. Manafort himself had kept notes, handed to Muller, which backed up the same flow of conversation. In short, it seems Goldstone's story stacks up. But what about Don Jr? He had written, after all, if that's what you say, I love it, when offered dirt on Clinton. He'd been the one who greenlit the meeting, even if the outcome was disappointing. Given it's illegal to accept a thing of value from a foreign national for US campaigns, had he broken the law? Don Jr. didn't give evidence to Mueller's team, and they didn't force him by law to testify. Why, we don't know. Here's Amelia Thompson-DeVoe again on where Mueller ended up. What Mueller wrote in his report was that Trump Jr. and the other campaign officials weren't ultimately charged with a campaign finance violation because it would be essentially too difficult to prove that they knew their conduct was unlawful. And that was actually fairly controversial when the report came out, because some campaign finance experts essentially thought that Mueller let Donald Trump Jr. off the hook too easily. Um, He didn't, for example, call Donald Trump Jr. to testify before a grand jury, which could have allowed him to probe this question of, um, you know, what, what did you think you were doing when you set up this meeting more easily. You know, it's it's very hard to know what someone's intent is or how much they knew about the law unless you can actually talk to them about it. So there you have it. No law violated, no charges filed. End of story. Looking back, Rob Goldstone's convinced that his role in this whole saga is vanilla. I was a publicist who sent an email, he told me. And that sums up his argument. He was just doing what the boss wanted. I must say, I found him pretty plausible. Yes, you can question his judgment, and offering dirt to a political campaign was reprehensible. And yes, the evidence does suggest the Russians used his contacts to get access to Trump. But was he really a willing and active participant in an illegal Russian conspiracy? Ultimately, Mueller didn't think so. One comment Goldstone made, almost in passing, really underscores this to me. It came when he was discussing that email. What I would say is, if I really was a part of that, do you not think that perhaps I wouldn't give away the entire recipe in it? I said everything in that email. Perhaps I would have just said, dear Don, could you call me? Maybe I would do that. And then when we had a meeting, I checked in for it on Facebook publicly. So... I understand why people 
feel the need and believe they know something that maybe Muller's team and everyone else doesn't. But I know it. And, and anybody who thinks logically would have to think, I would have done things slightly differently if I'd known. So your point is, if you were part of some grand conspiracy, you would be more opaque. You wouldn't be writing this stuff down. Like literally word for word, what turned out to be... I mean, no, you wouldn't write it down. I mean, I wouldn't. Maybe some people are stupid enough to, but of course you wouldn't. And if you had any inkling that it could turn out to be against the law, about, well, why would you write all of this? It's a decent point. If you were carrying out a criminal conspiracy, would you write down all the crimes? Maybe you would, if you're too thick to realise, for instance, or too cocky to care. Or maybe you were just making something happen without realising the consequences. For me, the whole Rob Goldstone saga says something subtler, but much more insightful about the Trump world and the president himself. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Here were two political outsiders, a British showbiz PR and an Azerbaijani pop star, who managed to waltz their way into the heart of an election campaign, crossing that porous line from Trump's business interests to his political activity. Tourists taking snapshots of the same gilded escalator Donald Trump rode down to announce his candidacy. They bonded with Trump in Vegas. They flattered him, putting him in a music video. And they furthered his financial interests over Miss Ukraine. And then, when they called with a request, They got Trump's son, his son-in-law and his campaign manager into a single room with just a few days' notice. It was just like when Goldstone, as a young hack, ensnared Muhammad Ali. It took cojones. But it worked. This is a story, ultimately, of how to get access to Trump's inner circle. Sycophancy. Entrepreneurialism. Masculine bonding. That remains as true for the 2020 election as it did in 2016. The difference is, those looking to influence Trump today now have the blueprint. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Crossfire from The Telegraph. Subscribe to this feed to make sure you don't miss it. And in the meantime, you can read more about this story, including details that we just couldn't fit in, at telegraph.co.uk forward slash crossfire. Next week on Crossfire. A lot of people are saying they had spies in my campaign. If they had spies in my campaign, that would be a disgrace to this country. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. There was nothing in the public good about trying to overturn the election. That's nonsense. What kind of guidance and what kind of thinking is that? Your survival mechanism kicks in at that point because you understand you're in danger. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.